Well, good news, good news, good news. To start off this Friday, it's Good News Friday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, and we've got a couple of good news stories to start things off that are educationally based. And I one of them is going to be a slam dunk. It's going to make a lot of sense. Don't mess with Texas. The whole shooting match. And the other one actually involves a student protest against Christianity that I actually think is a good thing. Are, are you ready for that? <laughs> Can you handle it? We just were 30 seconds into the program. Let's get to it. Okay, Texas Governor Greg Abbott has been a good friend of the Constitution. He's been a good friend of family values and family rights and things of that nature. And one thing I appreciate about Greg Abbott when he was the Attorney General of the state of Texas before becoming the governor Say what you mean, mean what you say. Um, when it came to COVID, for example, and the way Texas has handled the COVID cases, you wouldn't know it to listen to the rhetoric, but you would think that Texas was one of those states where nobody got vaccinated, everybody didn't wear a mask, they all carried guns everywhere they went to, and Texas was just kind of like this nirvana for, uh, for people who wanted liberty as it pertained to COVID. But if you look at the actual statistics, you will find that there are four states in the U.S. that te- paint such a telling picture of the way COVID was handled. And now that we're moving into endemic state, which just means a fancy term I mean, for in the scientific world, pandemic means look out, everyone's going to get it, and it's going to be terrible. You know, Endemic means everyone's going to get it. Full stop. It's a virus, right? We have moved into the point, if you were listening a couple weeks ago at the National Crawford Roundtable, uh, my colleague Neil Boron has, has had the worst go of COVID of the four of us. Um, Bob Duco had it, uh, got over it, wound up having Omicron, got over that, has natural immunity. John Rush, I, I think John and I have talked about the fact that he and I may, both may have had it, um, but we didn't get shot for it. Neil and his wife got vaccinated because she's a nurse. They have family in Canada. They live in Buffalo, a mile from the Canadian border. And, you know, that this is what they felt led to do. And at the end of the day, which one of us do you think got the worst case of COVID? I'm not picking on Neil, but he did. I mean, he was on oxygen for a month. He was taking an experimental drug that was $1,000 a dose that really helped him get his oxygen levels back up. And at the end of the day, he, I know he was very frustrated at <laughs> the podcast part of the bottom line, just saying, look, it's an endemic now. I mean, it's, it's going to happen. You're going to get it and you're going to get over it. And it's just, it's going to happen. Well, Texas and Florida took that stance and said, look, we are not going to force people to get vaccinated. We're not going to force people to wear masks. We're going to encourage them to do so. But we're not going to force them. And Greg Abbott and Ron DeSantis, governors of Texas and Florida, respectively, earned a lot of credit for that. Meanwhile, Andrew Cuomo, the now former governor of New York, and I want to say Jerry Brown, Gavin Newsom, same thing. The uh, emperor of the People's Republic of California went all in on locking people up and shutting them down and getting rid of schools and, you know, uh, all sorts of, uh, of uh, you know, intrusions, as it were, into our rights. At the end of the day... Guess which states had the highest level of vaccination? Guess which states had the highest level of people testing positive? And guess which states had the highest percentage of uh, people per 100,000 getting COVID and dying from COVID? Florida and California were almost neck and neck. Literally, California has twice the population of Florida, but the death rate in Florida was as high as the death rate in California. Texas, New York, same thing. Matter of fact, Texas is one of the most vaccinated states in the United States. 
And yet, every night on the news, what did you see? Greg Abbott is putting people at risk. Greg Abbott, governor of Texas, blah, blah, blah. There should be a mask mandate. There should be a this. There should be a that. Now, why am I giving kudos to Governors DeSantis in Florida and Abbott in Texas when the end result of their handling of the pandemic was Texas had just as many people get vaccinated as anywhere else, and Texas had just as many people test positive for COVID as anywhere else. The reason is very simple, brothers and sisters, and we can't miss this. The reason that Ron DeSantis and Greg Abbott are being hailed as heroes during the pandemic and Gavin Newsom and Andrew Andrew Cuomo got run out of office on what turned out to be trumped up charges, apparently, because no one's going after him for these sexual harassment charges. It's the way they handled the exact same thing. The way they understood life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, not mandating that people get anything, but rather saying, look, I recommend you get the vaccine. In Governor Abbott's case, he's vaccinated. But he said, I'm not going to force Texans to get the jab. I'm not going to force you to wear a mask. I've had the privilege, uh, Lisa and I have a son who lives in San Antonio. We've been down during the uh, pandemic a couple times to see him. And it's wonderfully refreshing to be able to walk into businesses and have the sign up saying we recommend you wear a mask. If you don't want to wear one, that's fine. We just recommend it. And some people do and some people don't. Everyone carries on their business. There's no mass hysteria. And Texans figured out for themselves how many wanted to get vaccinated and who didn't. So this next good news story, I think, is very encouraging because here's Governor Abbott actually introducing what he calls a parental bill of rights. Simply for the purpose of ensuring that parents have greater control over their children's education. Now, to be fair, Greg Abbott is running for re-election this year. So he unveiled the plans for this bill on a campaign stop. During election, it's amazing how many Democratic governors and representatives, congresspeople, etc. All of a sudden now are hearing, hey, the mask mandate didn't really go over so well with people. So you know what I'm running? Hey, we should release. Let's let's reverse that. We don't need that because I'm running for re-election. You know, five seconds after the votes are counted in November, they'll all be back on all over it again. But during the pandemic, what we've seen is more and more schools, more and more governments coming in and saying, we want to make sure that we are the ones who are making all the right choices for parents. You know, we want parents to be doing telelearning if we if we want them to. But we're going to have a lot of control as to, you know, what the parents can and can't do, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Well, here's what Governor Abbott says, and I'm quoting him here. Basically, the bill is hoping to rectify a part of the state's constitution that would reinforce that parents are the primary decision makers in all matters involving their children, quoting Governor Abbott. When it comes to the classroom, Texas parents should have every right to know what their children are being taught. Under my plan, we will expand parents' access to course curriculum and all material that is available in schools. Also, we will ensure that if a parent has a concern about a curriculum or policy, that those concerns are heard quickly and respectfully. In other words, the parents are the ones who are going to be ultimately held responsible for whether or not a child, for example, makes the grade in their class. Right now, whether or not a child advances a grade or is held back in a grade is completely at the uh, discretion of the school district. Under Governor Abbott's plan, parents would now have the power to choose if their child would repeat a course or a grade level instead of leaving that decision exclusively up to the school districts. 
Continuing, under this plan, Governor Abbott says, Texas will also ensure that any educational personnel convicted of providing minors with pornographic materials will lose all their educational credentials and state licensing, plus forfeit their retirement benefits and be placed on the do-not-hire list. Now, let me take a gander as to who that was a swing at. How about Loudoun County, Virginia? How about these school board meetings we've been hearing about where the school boards are choosing books that are pure profanity, pure obscenity, I mean, these, these sexually ex- explorational type of books, saying, here, this is recommended reading, but don't tell the parents. Remember the one school board meeting where the mom gets up, or maybe it was a dad, gets up and starts reading from some of the books. And the school board president had the courage to censor this guy, say, shut that microphone off. And the reason he was not allowed to continue to reading from the books was because there were children present at the school board meeting. I mean, let that sink in. Anyone who is committed to clear thinking, this is not Republican or Democrat. This is who protects the children versus who abuses and attacks the children. A parent reading from a book that is on the recommended reading list at a public school is at the district meeting reading from that book and is told by the school board president, stop reading from that book because there are children here and this is not appropriate for children. Not appropriate for them to hear, but appropriate for them to read? Good night. I Just big two thumbs way up to Governor Greg Abbott for introducing this bill. Um, he's also uh, introduced, signed a couple of bills into law that ban the teaching of critical race theory, and that's a whole separate conversation. Not that people don't want to see uh, any sort of uh, issue with, uh, with the racism in America not being taught, but critical race theory takes a lot of wide, wild assumptions and presents them as fact, and that's not healthy in or the kids' best interest. So hats off to Governor Greg Abbott for taking a stand for fighting for parental rights as it pertains to students. Now, as we continue, we're going to head from Texas to West Virginia and a protest that happened a couple of weeks ago that involved a Christian revival service of sorts that happened at a public high school and a group of about 100 students or so staged a walkout based on the fact that they were forced to sit through this what they called Christian indoctrination ceremony. And I want to tell you why I applaud the students for doing so and why I want to commend the school for actually holding the event at the same time. Is it possible that we could have a cognitive dissonance over religious liberty and support people who don't support our Christian values? I think we can. And we'll talk about why on the other side of this break as the bottom line continues. By investing in the Wilson Financial Services 4D or four-dimensional account, your investment is guaranteed against loss. It provides long-term care benefits, permanent income benefits, and inflation benefits all at the same time. You know, I had a client come in this morning, and the first thing he asked me was, tell me about 4D money. I said, you've got an account right now that's one-dimensional. It's paying you 6% for the next three years, and that's the one dimension it has. I said, 4D money has four dimensions. It'll pay you 4 to 6% a year, but it has three additional dimensions. Number one, it'll provide you with long-term care benefits. Number two, it'll provide you with permanent income benefits. And number three, it'll provide you with inflation benefits, all under the heading of 4D money. So when I explain these things to people, they say, well, you know, that sounds too good to be true. I said, I know, but we have got millions and millions of dollars of clients' money in these accounts, and it's in black and white. It's true. 
Ask Dennis Wilson and his team at Wilson Financial Services to explain the four dimensions of their 4D account. Call 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970 for simply better alternatives. Good News Friday edition of The Bottom Line continuing here in West Virginia. I'm Roger Marsh. Uh, kudos to Governor Greg Abbott of Texas for introducing a parental uh, bill of rights, if you will, that would be added to the Texas state constitution that says, look, you cannot prescribe, you cannot have an, uh, an event or a curriculum or something like that that involves controversial material and not let parents know ahead of time this is what we want to introduce because the students should have an opt-out. Hands down, smart thing to do, highly support. If I lived in Texas, I'd be voting for Greg Abbott for re-election. But let's head over to West Virginia now where a group of students walked out of their school in protest because of what they called a Christian revival that some say was a violation of their rights. Now, here's what happened. We're talking Huntington High School in West Virginia. And students were basically, this is Cabell County Schools. There was a gathering at, called a Compass. It's a daily, non-instructional break in the school schedule. Students can work on college prep. They can study for tests. They can listen to guest speakers. Now, the thing about the Compass program, and Compass is an acrostic for something, is that there was a group that brought in a speaker from the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, FCA. Well-respected organization, many, many years that this has been happening. Um, FCA coming to the Huntington High School there in West Virginia. Okay, that's kind of cool. I mean, I, I remember a time when there were all sorts of people who used to come out and, you know, and speak at schools. I do remember one time being in high school. Gosh, this was in the 70s. Was I a freshman? 75, 76. And there was a Young Life group, I believe, that um, invited the Christian duo, Olympic and Rayburn. They played acoustic guitar. They were kind of, a, you know, a, a, an America type of uh, Christian group. And here we are. We're in the gymnasium. It's an all-school assembly. They're packed. Now, the school, sometimes they would bring in these rock and roll bands, and, and they would play, and we, we loved it. You know, so it was tons of fun. But these guys came up. And they're out there with their acoustic guitars, or they're trying to sing their songs and do whatever. And kids were talking over them. I mean, literally, it was that kind of scene from Greece with the paper airplanes going everywhere. And at one point, I felt really badly, you know, because the only thing I remember about those two guys was they cut their set short, and they told us we were the rudest audience they'd ever performed for as they walked off stage. I was really heartbroken because when I found out years later, those guys were actually kind of legendary Christian musicians who didn't even really try to control the crowd, I thought, man, you walked up there with two acoustic guitars in front of a couple thousand students, and you were boring. And then you told them that we, the audience, were rude. I didn't appreciate that. But nonetheless, I, I remember a time when it was okay in a public school to bring in a group like that and let them perform for the entire student body. The fact that these compass uh, in, instructional breaks, if you will, are considered non-instructional. It's like a study hall. Guest speaker comes in. You can listen to the speaker. You don't have to listen to the speaker. Uh, you can work on college prep stuff if you want to. If you want to study for tests, you can. Here's where the problem gets kind of weird. The FCA speaker comes in. Speaker by the name of uh, Nick Walker of Nick Walker Ministries. He's been preaching at a lot of revivals all across the Huntington, West Virginia area. So thought it was a good idea to bring this guy in. Well, not everybody thought it was a good idea to bring this guy in. As a matter of fact, some students were planning on 
uh, just walking out of it because they were told that they were going to have to go to it. Other students planned a, uh, a walkout, as it were, in protest of the fact that this Christian revival was here. Now, here's the, where it gets kind of sticky. One of the students said, look, is this even legal? Um, apparently, some of the kids took issue with the fact that, and I don't know who Nick Walker is, N-I-K Walker. I've never heard of this person before. I have no reason to think that Nick Walker is a great guy or a horrible guy. Um, if Nick Walker is preaching and uh, bringing people to Christ, then you know God uses different people different ways. But apparently, uh, one of the messages that Nick Walker had was that he said, look, if you don't repent of your sin, if you don't uh, follow what the Bible has to say, then when you die, you're going to hell, not going to heaven. You really need to surrender your life to Jesus Christ. And during the event, he actually asked students who were there in attendance to raise their arms in prayer and surrender their lives to the Lord. A bold statement, a very bold witness indeed. But here's where it gets kind of messy. Evidently, there were a couple of teachers at Huntington High School who did not realize this was an optional event. And so they actually took their classes to the event, believing it was mandatory. Some of the students, when they got there and heard this guy preaching about the gospel and heaven and hell and holding up a Bible and raise your hands if you love the Lord and et cetera, et cetera, um, a lot of students were offended. Huntington High School senior Max Nilbert argued that the event violated the Constitution's call for the separation of church and state. He said, just to see that defamed and ignored in such a blatant way, it's disheartening. At which point, I agree with the student. What? What are you talking about? No, I agree with the student. It is disheartening. And it would be horrible to see the Constitution defamed and ignored in a blatant way. That would be disheartening. And Max Nilbert, I agree with you. Other students staged a walkout during their homeroom period. Um, over 100 students, according to the Associated Press, left their classrooms chanting, separate the church and state, and, and my faith, my choice, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, reporters attempting to cover the demonstration were turned away by school security, which I don't agree with. And according to the student, Max Milburn, said, I don't think any kind of religious official should be hosted on a taxpayer-funded building with the express purpose of trying to convince minors to become baptized after school hours. My rights are non-negotiable. According to the Washington Post, students also obtained about 75 signatures for a petition urging the Cabell County Board of Education to apologize to their families and take disciplinary action against the teachers. The petition further asked the board to assess its policy regarding religion or religious speakers at schools. And I agree wholeheartedly that the school should apologize for having a Christian speaker on campus in an educational time that was non-instructional, that was purely optional, and that two teachers got the message somehow that it was okay to take these kids in and subject them to the quote-unquote horrors of having to hear Nick Walker, Nick Walker Ministries, basically say, you got to live by the Bible. If you don't live by the Bible, you're going to hell after you die. And I, no, it was just, they, they shouldn't do that because it's a public school, et cetera, et cetera. I agree. They should ask the, there should be an apology issued because it should have been an optional event. 
That's why I agree. I have no trouble with someone coming out of public school campus and preaching the gospel. But the idea that they made this mandatory, somebody screwed up at the school and somebody needs to apologize. Now, disciplinary action against the teachers. Well, I mean, there should be some kind of disciplinary action saying, hey, guys, where did you get the idea? Can you imagine? Again, I'm playing devil's advocate for a second here. Can you imagine if this was a Muslim imam who came in and spoke to them? Can you imagine if it was a Buddhist monk? Can you imagine if someone was from the Baha'i faith? Can you imagine if it was a rabbi who came in and said, everybody who's in here and wants to follow God, boys, if you haven't been circumcised yet, we're going to have a breast right here for everyone. I mean, so I'm standing in solidarity with the students who say, you know what? This isn't right. This isn't right. This isn't right. I stand in solidarity with you on one condition. On the other side of this break, will you hear me out? And let me address some of the things that you said that actually aren't correct. Some of the things that you are assessing right now that really are big problems. And at the end of the day, the fact that you, well, could be looking at a lifetime of gloom and doom and peril if you don't address these things. And there's nothing in your constitutional right to freedom of religion or freedom from religion that will ever prevent you from actually enduring what this man lovingly, if somewhat misguidingly, tried to share with you. We'll talk about that on the other side of this break as the bottom line continues. Welcome back to this Good News Friday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, and yes, you heard me right. A group of West Virginia high school students staged a walkout over a Christian revival at their public school, and I agree with them. I think they should have every right to be upset. They have every right to be offended. They have every right to say, this is supposed to be a, you know, a separation of church and state issue, and you two teachers here brought their entire classes to a Fellowship of Christian Athletes event because they believed it was mandatory, and we want answers, we want apologies, we want explanations. Well, I agree that the teachers should not have forced the students to go to the assembly, number one. Number two, I agree that your right to religious liberty is huge. To be able to say, look, it's my, one student had a sign that said, my faith, my choice. Absolutely. In the United States, you have the right to not believe, just as I have the right to believe. And I will defend your right to not believe and to be irreligious until I have my last breath taken from my lungs. But can we take a look at some of the other things that the students are accusing the, uh, the, the, the leadership here at the school of, the Huntington High School in West Virginia? The idea that they were saying, you know, uh, that first of all, we, we don't want to have to hear this. Uh, to see the Constitution defamed and ignored in such a blatant way is disheartening, said one uh, high school senior, Max Nilbert. And he argued that the event violated the Constitution's call for the separation of church and state. Okay, I said, you know what? If that is in fact in the Constitution, I absolutely support your right to use that as part of your defense. But I'm challenging you and every other student to find the actual words in the U.S. Constitution that says there is a separation of church and state. Because the reality is those words are not in the Constitution. We have freedom of religion, which means we have the freedom to practice whichever religious tradition we want to follow. We also have the freedom to not follow one. But freedom of religion also means that we the people in the Constitutional Republic of the United States of America do not have an organized national religion. And the so-called separation of church and state comes from the letter that Thomas Jefferson wrote explaining we don't have, we're not a theocracy. There is no Church of America, just like there's the Church of England. People aren't born Christian, just like they're born Muslim when you go to a Middle Eastern country. 
that separation of church and state issue. If you as a high school senior at this Huntington High School are getting ready to go to college and you believe there is a constitutional separation of church and state, then we need to have a conversation. And if you believe that so-called constitutional separation of church and state means that the state gets to tell people how they can and can't worship, then you don't understand the Constitution. So let's talk about that. I don't think any religious official should be hosted in a taxpayer-funded building with the express purpose of trying to convince minors to become baptized after school hours. My rights are non-negotiable. You're right, they're non-negotiable. So are mine. So when your rights, quote-unquote, tell me that I have to support and condone same-sex, quote-unquote, marriages, you're telling me now that I have to renegotiate my rights, and I'm not going to do it. I don't hate people in the LGBTQ community, but I really resent the fact that my rights have been compromised so that they can have additional rights. And also the idea that a religious official should be hosted in a taxpayer-funded building with the express purpose of trying to convince minors to become baptized after school hours, what do you think this guy does for a living? I mean, seriously, the whole point of anyone, part of any religious expression, is coming in and saying, look, of course I'm trying to proselytize. Of course I'm trying to make it so that you would want to be persuaded to become part of my religion. And you know what? You can use public money to do that. You probably have a Fellowship of Christian Athletes club on your campus the same way there could be an atheist's club, the same way there's a chess club. If the school-sponsored club, FCA, brings in a speaker and the guy turns out to be a pastor, well, of course, in the same way that if you brought the chess club brought in a speaker, he might be a grandmaster champion. Your rights are non-negotiable. I understand. The school should issue an apology because somebody screwed up on this thing. But this incident has left the door wide open to have a conversation about what the Constitution does and does not say about freedom of religion. And for that, I am truly grateful. And this is actually a very good news story of what happened and should be happening, hopefully, in more high school settings and college campuses, especially all across the country. We've got a link for that book or that uh, article up at thebottomlineshow.com. As we continue, uh, I'm not a golfer. I've never played a round of golf in my life other than the one with the windmills and the colored uh, you know, putting greens. But when it comes to the game, there's a very... Uh, spiritual way about it a very uh, interesting component and there's a brand new golf movie out there have actually been like, several golf movies in recent years they've all been pretty good but this one is outstanding it's called the mulligan it's a reference if you are a golfer to uh, what happens when the golfer hits a shot that just really misses the mark dramatically and they say okay take a mulligan you know do it over again that metaphor for the way God allows us to enter into his presence in spite of our sin is just, uh, it's very, very well uh, put together. The movie is now out on DVD and on streaming services. We have a couple copies to give away, but I have a conversation scheduled coming up next with Pat Boone, who is one of the stars of this movie. Pat does an outstanding job in the movie, The Mulligan. And uh, you could not only hear this conversation, you can also watch it when you go to uh, myhopenow.com as well. Pat Boone to talk about the mulligan coming up next as the bottom line continues. Well, there's a brand new movie coming out on DVD and all the streaming services, and I highly recommend it. I will say this as someone who's never played golf before, but really oh. appreciates the I've never have. And my guest today is an avid golfer, and he's an outstanding golfer at that. Pat Boone is the star of the brand new movie called The Mulligan, which is kind of a golfing term. We've got a link for the trailer at thebottomlineshow.com. Pat, it's good to see you. Welcome to The Bottom Line Show today. Well, good to see you and good to be with you on the bottom line. Yeah. I like, you know, I like that name, the bottom line. Name of the game, just getting right to what is the issue. 
You know, the what, what's the answer? The yeah. real final answer. Yeah, absolutely. This movie, I, I mentioned as a non-golfer, I watched it over the weekend. I laughed. I cried. I cried a lot. Um, yeah. And I can honestly say not to patronize you, but you are the pivot point in this movie. I'm glad that Eric Close's Paul character does have a, you know, a believable conversion experience. Yeah. But I was at the end of the movie, I kept asking, why did we have to wait so long for the Will Dunn character to show up? It looked like it was a lot of fun for you to make this movie. I, said, I did show that. up early in the film, but just in the crowd, if you knew who to look for, you saw. Right. I was there when he, Eric, as the uh, near billionaire hotshot, makes a fool of himself on the golf course. Mm -hmm. And I was there seeing that. So later, when Tom Lehman, who takes him by the shoulders, when he breaks his putter over his knee and throws the broken putter into the trap which you cannot do particularly if you're playing with pros <laughs> Tom Lehman took him by the show and said hey pal you're not good enough to get that mad mm -hmm. great line and, yeah great line if you're going to play with us again go see well done mm -hmm. so then he comes to see me I'm the retired pro who uh, helps golfers with their temperament and their tempers and so I set out to help him because that's what he asked for with his golf, but then I start to help him with his life as well. His mm -hmm. marriage is breaking up. He's going through a divorce. His business is great, but his son can't stand him 16 years old. And I say to him, it looks like to me that you could use a few mulligans in your life. Mm -hmm. He said, mulligans. What's that? It's a do over. It's a second chance. I don't believe in that. You do it the first time or you just take their knocks. Mm -hmm. So that's what you're doing. You're taking your knocks. Well, by the way, wouldn't it be nice if you could do something over again that you have not only done so badly that you've lost it, you might have another chance to regain what you lost? He said, yeah, but that, that's not real life. And I said, well, the way God plays it, it's real. Mm. And so anyway, we, uh, you see the movie. Yeah. But you know what I saw? Uh, and I cried when I saw the film finished. And it was at, in Augusta, just before the Masters. Mm. Uh -huh. Jim Nance, who's in the film was there yeah. and he was watching it with the audience and he we had some questions and answers afterwards and Jim asked if if he could say something and, and of course he could and he said look I, I I'm in the film I had not seen it I didn't know really what it was all about but now that I've seen it I just want to thank you people and he was almost teary he said this mm. has had a real impact on me personally and then I teared up because I had seen watching the film something I hadn't realized, which is when I was a kid, my idol was Bing Crosby. Hmm. And, uh, you know, I wanted to do anything and everything the way Bing Crosby did it. Singing, acting, playing golf, easy, seemingly effortless. And when I saw the film, I thought that that could be Bing Crosby. Hmm. He, this would have been a perfect role for Bing Crosby. Yeah. And here I am playing him. Oh, in this film. How special. And 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 I hadn't I hadn't tried to play it like Bing Crosby, right? But just came across that way. So I love that. I think God was just giving me a little boyhood dream come true. Absolutely, and I love how God remembers those little parts of yes, those dreams yeah. that He gives us when we're younger. Uh, Pat Boone is my guest today here on the Bottom Line. Uh, the the legendary entertainer, uh, performer, a great man of God, a tremendous man of faith who is still. Keep going, uh, keep going. No. <laughs> well, and still, I mean, 
the thing that the thing that I admire about you so much, Pat, I mean, the legacy of faith that you have, there comes a point, let's be honest, where if we're able to achieve a certain body of work, we can still stay healthy for a certain period of time. At some point, people will say, oh, that's great. Pat Boone is still with us. So I've got a place for him. We could put him on camera. And that's really good. But I can't stress enough how important your role playing Will Dunn, which is a nice little tongue-in-cheek reference to Well Done, Good and Faithful Servant. Yeah, yeah. Will I love good it. And yeah, it's great. But your part is there, and it's pivotal. I mean, this is not just a, uh, oh, let's put Pat in a couple of shots. I mean, you really are driving this thing. Well, it is important. I mean, the theme of the film is the mulligan. That is a second chance. This man, played by Eric, needs several do-overs in his life. He's, he's making a billion dollars in his business, but he's losing everything that's of much more importance. Right. And uh, I try to get through to him by first with his golf and then comparing it to his life. And he resisted for a while. Mm -hmm. But later, uh, at one point when he's getting very close and I'm about to press him and say, look, aren't you ready about ready to, to let Jesus be your caddy for life and help you make it through life right there at your side? like a good caddy, <laughs> he says, not yet. And he says, besides, every time I talk about golf, you bring up this God malarkey. Mm -hmm. And I stop him. You know, I, I, this was not in the script, but I asked the director if I could do this. And I say, hey, wait a minute. Our friendship, you know, our friendship was very obvious. I was very low key. But look, I don't ever want to hear you use that word malarkey in reference to God, mm. because he is my father. So wow. respect him. And and he he took that, you know, as and it was not part of the original script, but I just had to do that yeah. in the film. And um, and so he 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 says, look, if I if it happens, if I, I say when he's leaving, uh, let me know if you decide to get really serious, call me. Mm -hmm. And and uh, he says, You'll be the first to know. Yep. And I said, No, I stop him. I'll be the second, second. to know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm well, I'm glad you went off script with that, Pat, because I mean, that's, that is a huge point in the film. I mean, it's, it's a climax of sorts because the idea is we're getting to the faith journey. We're seeing that Paul has literally, you know, he's profited everywhere, but he's losing his soul. He's, he's got a, an immensely talented son who could be having his own career and he's yeah. never there to see him. He's got a wife who's holding down the fort and she's very active in her own faith and did not yeah. give up on him for all the years that they're separated. So he has a lot more going for him than just the billion dollar deals that he's pulling. But th for those who aren't familiar in the golfing world, Pat, can you help us understand what a mulligan is? Because it's got a nice connection, what we have in well, our spiritual life. Sure, a mulligan. It was named after the guy who first asked uh, many, many years ago in a, in a course off New York City across the uh, sea, across the uh, inlet, he um, across the East River, I should say. And uh, and he messed up badly. And he said, guys, can I can I do how can I do over? Can I take another shot? I know I can do better than that. OK, so they call that second shot the mulligan mm. after him. And and, the, and it became part of golf, not the rules of golf, but among friends who uh, who realized the guy really messed up and he and he, he deserves a second chance. And if you're playing with partners and friends, they'll let you have a mulligan. Of course, then you'll have to let them have a mulligan too. Right, right. But they need it. And it's not the rules of golf, the as they call it, the, uh, the, the royal and ancients who, who created the rules of golf. But in the game of life, 
which is God's game. He can grant you mulligans and second chances. And I love this part of the script in which I'm telling him that, uh, that in the game of life, God demands a perfect score. If right. you just miss, if you just miss one shot, then, then you're, you, uh, you're, you, you, you don't make the cut, but he knows that none of us can play a perfect game. Right. So Jesus came and he gives us your scorecard and he, he puts your name on it, but then he puts his score on your card mm. and he plays a perfect game and he'll give his perfect game to you over your name if you will let him. Mm. And that's, that's a very good way of describing what a mulligan is in, in the theme of this movie. Yeah. It's we crazy. all make mistakes. We mess up. We need do-overs. Mm -hmm. And some things we think are really unforgivable. But God says, no, I can forgive you if you're really sorry about it and you'll, you'll commit you'll never do that again. <laughs> and mm -hmm. and if, you'll, if you'll use my son's scorecard, not your own. Yes. <laughs> yes. And so there's, there's some really wonderful rules. And, you know, millions of people play golf and love it, but there's almost no movies about golf. Right. Right. And, yeah. and this is a great movie in itself, I think. Good movie. Yeah. Yeah. Very, but very, golf. Very, yeah. It's, a lot it's of golf. It's, it's, a, it's a very good golf movie that has a lot more to it. Of course, it's based on the book by Ken Blanchard and Wally Armstrong uh, called yeah. The Mulligan, and it, it's very faithfully adapted. Welcome back to this Good News Friday edition of The Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. Pat Boone is my guest, and we're talking about the brand new movie, The Mulligan, which is now available at streaming services and also on DVD. Pat Boone is with me today here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. We're talking about the new movie called The Mulligan, which is now available on DVD and, and all your streaming services. And we're going to have a copy or two to give away at the end of our conversation today. Uh, you can watch all of this. Uh, if you're just listening on Terrestrial Radio or the podcast right now, go to myhopenow.com and you can see Pat and me having this conversation and see how healthy this man is. Pat, you've been in the limelight for almost all of your life. I mean, in terms of thinking back to your, your singing career and I mean, the, the fact that you and going neck and neck with, who was that young guy out of Tennessee, Memphis? Somewhere. Uh, Presley, I think his name yeah, was. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. And there's a movie about him too. Hasn't been a Pat Boone story on that scale just yet, but there should be. I mean, when you consider your body of work and, and you have been so prolific, I mean, still getting, not just showing up and smiling and waving for little appearances, you're playing roles that actually are driving what what's the motivation what keeps you going you're so active well a when i first uh was starting i was going to be a teacher preacher <laughs> and i wanted my life when i was in my late teens i asked the lord to use my life in a way that would uh, serve other people and please him and i was going to be a teacher preacher that to me was the definition of being a preacher teacher like my role models mm -hmm. but instead he knew i was a singer i loved to sing and uh, that I had visions and, you know, daydreams about being a pop singer like Bing Crosby. So my wife and I married at 19. Mm. I was in school in North Texas State in Denton uh, and preaching in a little country church in a wheat field in Slidell mm. on my way to being a teacher preacher, but doing a TV show in Fort Worth on, on Saturdays as a teenager still. And I get a call uh, from a Randy Wood of Dot Records who had heard me sing on a national talent show. And he said, you want to make a record? I said, well, sure. So he had me, flew me to Chicago. I made my very first record. It was rock and roll, a rhythm and blues song called Two Hearts, Two Kisses. That record made in March of 55 
uh, went to the top 10, sold over a million records, huh. boom, like that. The next record was Ain't That a Shame. Pat Snomino's R&B hit. His had sold 150,000 in the R&B or race music field genre. But I recorded that same song and sold a million and a half. Hmm. And he said many times I made more money from Pat Boone's record of my, <laughs> my own. Yeah. So that career took off. And listen, I was I, I was on the single chart from then on for, for over four years. Hmm. I hold a record in the record business of 220 consecutive weeks without ever being off the single Amazing. chart. Elvis Amazing. went to the Army after three years, and he was off the single chart. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Beach Boys in the 60s, uh, after three years, they started just putting out albums. They didn't mess around with singles. So I hold that record of 220 consecutive weeks. Wow. And having recorded now at the age of 88, still recording, over 2,300 songs, more than Frank Sinatra or Bing Crosby. Mm-hmm. Frank did 1,500 songs, all classics. Bing Crosby, I consider all of his classics. He did 2,000. But old Boone has recorded 2,300 <laughs> songs. Uh-huh. And I'm still at it. I'm going to Nashville in a couple of days and record a song uh, with some Nashville musicians called Grits, a uh-huh. song that came to me in a dream. And I hope you'll be hearing it. Grits, Grits. Bestest food there is, country <laughs> caviar, Tennessee foie gras, grits, bestest food there is, uh, fancy food, give me my grits. Oh, I love it. And it's, I I'm love it. hoping Cracker Barrel is going to use it as a commercial. Oh, they should. They but really I'm should. At it after, after all these years. I think that's great. Well, you know, one of the things about the mulligan that I like too is, though it's a non singing role per se, you did get a chance to break off a riff of Smoke on the Water, which means I think that metal album that you did really stuck with you, right? That was a joke I did during one of the <laughs> and, uh, and and the and the director liked it and said, leave that in. Uh-huh. And, uh, and of course, for that old timer to be singing Smoke on the Water, the Deep mm-hmm. Purple song, yeah. which I had recorded in my album of heavy metal classics. Uh-huh. Uh, which got me temporarily off Christian television until mm-hmm. eventually they had me come on and explain that I'd gone over every song with a fine tooth comb. Mm-hmm. Not one thing in uh, any of those songs that uh, was not G-rated. I've never made a movie or, or sung a song right. that wasn't G-rated for family. So mm-hmm. anyway, I just threw that in. Smoke on the water, <laughs> fire in the sky. <laughs> I love it. And, you know, I I would love to find out what Ian, Ian Gillen thinks of that because they're still on the road and you're still making movies. So, I mean, I think I, I liked yours better to be perfect. That would be, well, it'd be fun to know. I, I know that uh, Ozzy Osbourne loved my version of his crazy train uh-huh, uh-huh. very much. Uh-huh. In fact, when he when he started his TV show and I'd already recorded that song Crazy Train, hmm. uh, I tuned in to see what all the excitement about their, the Osbourne show is. And I hear my version, crazy. Hey, that's how it goes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the people washing their toes. I, don't know. <laughs> I think they might be living as foes. Uh, living as foes. That's right, living yeah. as foes. But but they loved it so much. My version of his song mm-hmm. that he made it the theme song of his television show. Love it. Love it. There was nothing wrong with any of the songs I did on that heavy metal album. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, well, and, and good for you for doing that. Pat Boone is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. He stars as Will Dunn in the brand new movie called The Mulligan, based on the book with the same title. It's a great golf story as a metaphor for life. Uh, we've got a link for the trailer up at thebottomlineshow.com. The DVD is just now out and the streaming uh, services all have it too. We'll be giving away copies of it at the end of our conversation. Pat, we only have a couple minutes left here. Um, Talk about what the movie was like. I mean, obviously, as you grow deeper in faith, you are not only the senior member of the acting crew that was there, but also, you know, in terms of your spiritual life as well. Talk about what the, the this movie for me, I mean, I've seen hundreds of faith-based movies over my 40 years in being in the yeah. radio business. This one had such an interesting feel about the faith didn't feel forced. Can you talk about that? Yeah, it was a natural, it was a natural part. It was that was the genius of Wally Armstrong's story, and Ken Blanchard, and of course the director and the Rick Eldridge who produced it. Yeah, they they wanted it to just come out uh, like like any of us would talk on the golf course, and and he, he, the guy is realistic as played by Eric. He's resistant. He doesn't want to hear about it. Uh, he's uh, turned off, in fact, by my constantly making some spiritual um, connection to his personal life mm -hmm. and to golf. But, you know, at one point, and if you ever want to see, if it interests you to see Pat Boone cry in a role he does on a movie, which I didn't know I could do or would do even. Mm -hmm. But when I get to a focal, very important point of the film, when I'm asked by his character, Eric Close's character, did I have, did I ever ask for a mulligan? I didn't get it. Because we don't always get everything we pray for the way we right. ask. It may come in a different way. In telling the story of the loss as, as, and the character's loss of his son, mm -hmm. as I'm telling this story to him, I unexpectedly was fighting my own tears, fighting to keep from crying. I actually was crying in the film. Not It was a surprise to me. Mm -hmm. It's just God, the Holy Spirit, really saying, hey, this is very meaningful to you. So let it out, let it out. Mm -hmm, <laughs> and, mm -hmm. and when I did it, it was very quiet. And I heard the director say quietly, very nice. Mm. Can we, can we do it again? Oh no. And we did it again and it uh -huh. happened again. Wow. It happened again. So, I mean, I, it was a stunner to me, but I, I only mention it because if you ever want to see a grown man cry when he didn't know he was going to do it, Mm -hmm. either mulligan and it's yeah. it turned out to be a very important moment in the film yes it's it's, it's a huge moment and if i am naturally given to crying so when i say i cry easy to movie this these tears though were on a different level and i uh, i was so captivated by not only your performance pat but the way the whole ensemble came together and uh, and and made the the rough spots rough and the believable spots believable and i think it's just a very very satisfying uh, faith-based movie the movie's called the mulligan the inspiring story written by ken blanchard and wally armstrong who's a pga pro and of course uh played by uh, eric close who's uh, from tv's nashville and you'll recognize many members of the cast uh of course pat Boone being central to me tanya Christensen yeah. plays uh, uh eric close's wife in the film yeah. she's excellent everybody yeah. in is wonderful mm -hmm. 
They, they, they really are. And it, you'll find this a very meaningful experience for men's groups, for church ministries, for uh, Christian schools, uh, just to have people over and watch this thing. And, and eventually we'll get that big theatrical release that isn't just a Fathom event, one screen here and one screen there, Pat. We'll get a couple of weekends in a row and see what this movie can actually do uh, at the box office. But for now, we'll take the DVD and we'll take the video streaming and we've got them up at thebottomlineshow.com. Pat Boone, it's been an honor to spend time with you. I'm glad your health is well and on the mend. And I'm looking forward to the next project where we can talk to you again about well, it. I on think the, the next project may be the life of Billy Graham because I look like him. Yes. I <laughs> I'm looking at myself right now. I said, wait a minute. I've lived long enough that I look like Billy Graham. Oh, I love it. Well, then that would fulfill that teaching and preaching role that you felt called to when you were a child. Oh, boy, wouldn't it? Yeah. Oh, that's wonderful. Well, Pat, God's richest blessings to you and yours from all of us here at The Bottom Line. Uh, thank you, Raj. Well, The Mulligan is an outstanding movie. Even if you don't like golf, you're going to appreciate this. It stars Pat Boone and Eric Close and a host of other uh, folks that just make this a wonderful ensemble cast. Uh, you can go to thebottomlineshow.com and watch the trailer for the movie. And do know that we do have two copies. Wait, we've got three copies of the DVD to give away that we'll be doing. If you want to call now and get in line, I encourage you to do so. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. That's the number to get you through to the bottom line. More of my conversation with Pat Boone in just a moment as the bottom line continues. My thanks again to Pat Boone, the star of the brand new movie called The Mulligan, A Parable of Second Chances. Great golf movie, great faith movie. Uh, the link for the trailer is up at thebottomlineshow.com. It is now out on DVD and also on streaming services. We have three copies we're giving away. Uh, 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. Uh, the number to get you through to the bottom line. Um, I love this story because of Mulligan, as they explain in the movie, they give little bits of golf history. It's just very well done. Um, they explain what the Mulligan really is. A guy called Mulligan, Scottish golfer, uh, hits a horrible tee shot to open up a match looks at his uh, fellow compatriots who he's playing with and asks if he can take the shot over again, which they grant him permission to do. And the mulligan, now that term has been used um, often and with great passion as a, uh, as a reminder of what we as uh, Christians get with the Lord. We get that opportunity to basically say, look, you know, I'm, you know, I, I'm living a sinful life. I'm far from you. But thanks be to God that he gives us the gift of faith that enables us to receive the gift of salvation. There's a part in this movie where Paul McAllister, played by Eric Close, you've seen him in Nashville and Without a Trace, and uh, he was in legal action on Amazon. Um, he's, the, he's the protagonist. He's the, he's the project, if you will. He's playing in a pro-am golf tournament. He's a big-shot corporate executive, and he is just playing miserably. And at one point, he gets so angry, he breaks his club his putter in two and throws it in the water and the pro at the uh at the club it was tom lehman is the pro uh tells him you know i want you to go see the pat boone character will done you know kind of get some stuff right tom's a christian and he says oh by the way paul he goes that thing with the club he goes you haven't earned the right to be that mad <laughs> i thought oh my gosh what a what a takedown but you know when you think about it we all need a mulligan when it comes to our faith when it comes to the way we live our lives. Apart from Christ, we don't have any way of entering into the throne of grace area. And yet what we do when we come to the Lord is he says, look, here's the deal. My son paid the penalty for your sin. Do you believe that he did that? He will be your savior. And will you follow him as your Lord? And basically you're getting a chance to say, as much as I messed up before, 
I want to live this new sinless life where the goal now is not to sin but to turn from it to repent from sin when I do and to know that my sins from the past present and future are all forgiven so the mulligan's a great metaphor and I highly recommend this movie show it at your church this fall too Um, and we've got three copies of the DVD we're still giving away 800-227-5278 800-227-5278 800 227 5278. That's the number to get you through to the bottom line. For our KCBC audience, enjoy the rest of your day and Rabbi Schneider discovering the Jewish Jesus coming up next. For those who remain on the network, the governor of a major state in the Mid South is pointing to scripture in the wake of disaster. We'll tell you what, who it is and why he did it coming up next as the bottom line continues. Good news, good news, good news. Welcome to the Bottom Line Show and this Good News Friday edition of the Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh, your Good News Friday host, as always. And uh, grateful to, uh, if you didn't get a chance to hear the last half hour and my conversation with Pat Boone about his new movie called The Mulligan, you need to go back to thebottomlineshow.com, go to Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Tune in wherever you get your podcast. You can go to myhopenow.com. We've got the video of Pat and me having our Zoom conversation up there. Uh, We also, uh, you can find it at rogermarsh.com. There are so many places for you to find that information. I highly recommend you do. Uh, I don't mean to be so effusive about a film. Uh, Kind of emotional, I think, because for me, Pat's 88. My mom and dad just turned 89 this year. Uh, Pat's in great health. And by the way, he's looking for work. As a matter of fact, I think, if I'm not mistaken, and Tamara, correct me if I'm wrong on this one, we always, you know, when we're doing a Zoom recording or something like that, there's always a little chit-chat beforehand or afterwards, this, that, and the other thing. Um, when Pat and I were talking and we were on Zoom, he asked for a copy of the video. He said, you know, I'm kind of keeping a scrapbook, if you will, for my kids and my grandkids and my great-grandkids, and I want them to hear Grandpa, great-grandpa sharing his faith so even if we don't get a chance to have that much of a relationship here on earth, we're always about faith. And I just marvel at how Pat has been in the limelight, kind of grew up in a family where he thought he was going to be a preacher, um, then became a big movie star and a huge recording artist. And at one point, you know, was bigger than Elvis. I mean, he, Pat sold a lot of records. Pat, I mean, his daughters have had tremendous success. He and his wife, Shirley, um, had tremendous success together as a couple. And here the guy is 88 years old, and he says, I'm still looking for work. I'm still looking for projects. Pat doesn't need the projects. He has this passion to serve the Lord. And I love the fact that, you know, b- nowadays with the cancel culture and everything, you see stars that are Christian who come out as Christian, if you will, and wind up losing their Hollywood career. Pat continues to work, and he he's a reminder to us all. Every time I, I talk to somebody about their retirement years. Uh, I think of guys like Pat Boone and say, what retirement? We're supposed to keep going until we can't go no more. And um, uh, that's uh, if you are looking for ways to stretch the income that the Lord has given you and make it last through these years where you're not working as much, but you're still going at it, give Dennis Wilson a call. Dennis has been in business doing what he does for 54 years and shows no sign of stopping. He doesn't know what the word retirement means either, Right. So if, if for no other reason we uh, have this conversation, I encourage you to watch the mulligan, call Dennis Wilson at 800-696-9970, but let your light continue to shine. Don't let anyone tell you, well, you're 65, you're 72, you're 81, you're, I don't expect anything from you. You show up ready and raring to go 
and say, God, uh, the, uh, it was the late Dean Jones. Remember Dean? The guy who was in the Love Bug movies and all that stuff. He was a great actor with Disney in the late 60s and early 70s. You know, had that season of being, quote unquote, the most popular actor in America. And then the role started drying up because he was so popular that his agent kept getting scripts for scenes where you're going to play a guy who has an affair with his secretary, or you're going to play a guy who uh, we're going to show him the jacuzzi with a woman who's not his wife, or you're going to do this drug deal or whatever. And it's so interesting to me how Dean said, I'm not going to do those jobs. And so the roles just pretty much dried up. And it was at that point in his life that he realized, well, my faith isn't going anywhere. I'm doing this because I want to honor God with my career. And I didn't hear this from Dean, but I heard it from a mentee of his, a guy by the name of Bruce Marciano. And Bruce is a uh, um, Bruce is a guy who gained fame, again, uh, an acclaimed actor, stage, screen, television. But it wasn't until he was in between projects and was getting fewer and fewer jobs because of his Christian faith that someone approached him about portraying Jesus in a visual Bible uh, production. And he's now done, I think, two of the Gospels. And he's done a lot of other work um, since then with Pure Flicks and people like that. But at a point where he was kind of at his lowest, uh, he knew Dean Jones because they went to the same church. I think they both went to church on the way in, in Van Nuys. And he said, Dean, what did, what did you do? How did you handle this situation? And he said, Bruce, I eat whatever God puts on my plate every morning. That's all the best advice I can give you. Don't look outside of yourself don't look to things that you hope will happen if god puts this on your plate today and says this is your meal then eat it i mean <laughs> go, go ahead and live it let it nourish you he said i've never not had work and i thought i thought about that with the, the one and only time dean and i ever met we did a phone interview he'd done some voice work for i think a jeanette oak novel and uh, he was reading the voice had that great description i mean actors today don't have the same training i think to do a lot of voice work the way actors in that era did. And uh, and I was remembering, you know, him, I, I shared that quote from Bruce. He goes, oh yeah, Bruce is great. And he said, you know, it's true. I mean, that, that it's it, it's what I do. And, and I didn't get a lot of roles for a number of years and I lost out on a lot of money just because I wouldn't compromise my values. But I, I can't, I can't stress enough how important it is every time I meet someone like that, whether it's Pat Boone or Dean Jones or, you know, someone who has a, a history like that where they say we are not going to compromise our faith, the, the time is coming, brothers and sisters, and may have already come when we're starting to see these end times situations show up. We're starting to see the cancel culture trying to silence Christianity. We're, we're seeing the, the media, you know, in, just in lockstep with, uh, uh, you know, the, the leftist agenda of progressives. And, and I, I don't say that, if you've listened to this program for any length of time, I don't say that, as a way of being hysterical. I'm not being funded by a group of people who want to keep you afraid. So, you know, you know tune in every day and what's Roger afraid of now? What's, what are we, what's he concerned about now? We have to act. We have to act. I, I say this, brothers and sisters, as someone sitting in my studio today with clear and sober judgment saying, look, I believe if you interpret the signs of the times that you can see where we are heading. And it doesn't mean we panic. As Christians, quite the opposite. Our hope is in the Lord. Uh, we stand on the solid rock of our firm foundation of our testimony that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he's the creator of the world, that he is the conqueror of sin, death, and hell, and that I believe that he came and died on the cross to pay the penalty for my sin. And now that my sins are forgiven 
and I have access to the throne of God, I can go directly to him in prayer, in fellowship, and, and dealing with him in that way, and he with me. And he is my Lord as well as my Savior, so it's every day. What is God putting on your plate? That's the lordship part. And it's nice to see people who have positions of some kind of authority, if you will, whether they're in the government or in the media or entertainment, whatever it is, who have that same kind of faith who say, hey, look, I've gotten here and I've gotten here because God brought me here, not because I worked really hard and you know compromised my, my values. And so I, I think of those men in particular uh, when I look at this next story because the governor of Kentucky is taking it on the chin uh, often, has taken it on the chin for his opinions based on what he believes are his biblical worldview beliefs. Uh, Andy Bashir is the governor of Kentucky right now. And if you haven't heard, eastern Kentucky in particular uh, has been ravaged with flood damage. And so, of course, there are lots of different photo opportunities, of course. I mean, the, 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 the way that the government deals with the, uh, the, the crises of the day, the public has become so, we've been so dumbed down and conditioned to the, um, uh, the you know, the, 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 the picture perfect moments, you know, the, the photo op, that's the word I was looking for. And so we see, you know, it's the, hey, there was a, there's flooding in Kentucky. And so the president and vice president and their spouses went and put on the hard hats because they're out in this you know, dangerous spot and they you know, express their condolences and announce there's going to be money coming or this, that, and the other thing. And we're just so used to it. You know, we're used to that's the way the politicians handle things. Remember, that was one of the big knocks on George W. Bush during Hurricane Katrina. And we talked about this a little bit on the National Crawford Roundtable not too long ago, where the issue of how things were reported and, um, you know, how things really run. When the media says George W. Bush didn't declare a state of emergency in New Orleans and Louisiana, he didn't send a National Guard, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Three clicks on Google and you could find out why that happened. And that was uh, Mayor Ray Nagin and uh, Governor Kathleen Blanco, I believe was her name at the time, um, looked at the damage coming from the potential storm, knowing that the levees might not be able to withstand a bunch of rain that was coming in from said hurricane. And, you know, they come in, and they tell you it's going to be Category 5. By the time it hits land, it's Category 1. Or in some cases, like remember Hurricane Sandy? They had to invent a term in New Jersey back in the 2020, uh, the 2012 presidential election because everybody was ready for this Category 5 to hit New Jersey and wipe out Washington, D.C. and whatever. And by the time it hit land, it wasn't even a Category 1. They called it a superstorm because it had a lot of rain, but it wasn't the big catastrophic natural disaster that the media were hoping for. See, we had this big natural disaster and we want President 44 to stay in office to guide us through. Oh, shoot. It wasn't a natural disaster after all. It was just a lot of rain. In Louisiana, when Hurricane Katrina hit, it hit Louisiana and Mississippi hard. But then it wasn't so much the rain and the wind that did all the damage. It was the levees breaking and the flooding that resulted. You would think that a state of emergency would be declared. But they couldn't declare a state of emergency fast enough to get the National Guard in with all the water. If you preemptively call a state of emergency, National Guard could be mobilized and ready to go. The feds don't just send people in. The state work with, we are the United States of America. Oftentimes, uh, a disaster is uh, it's predicted. And so they'll fire, file the paperwork to claim a state of emergency. 
in case they need to. If they don't, no emergency, call off the emergency. But if they do, well, New Orleans needed that help. Governor or Governor Blanco, Mayor Nagan, they did not ask the federal government for said documentation. So when the hurricane hit and then the levees broke and everything was flooded, then you got Ray Nagan going, somebody do something. Well, buddy, the somebody was you. And you should have told your governor that she needed to declare a state of emergency before the hurricane hit, and then everybody would have been in place. It still, it still would have hit and still would have caused damage, but it wouldn't have taken as long to get people the help that they needed. So sometimes photo ops blow up in your face, but sometimes you kind of need the leader of your state, or in this case, the Commonwealth of Kentucky, to say and do the things that are going to bring hope and healing. And in this case, Governor Bashir went a little bit further than just doing the requisite. We've contacted the state officials. We've contacted federal officials. We've declared a state of emergency. He went to a higher authority. I'll tell you what he did and how it turned out for him coming up next as the bottom line continues. Do something productive with your money over the next three years. Invest in Dennis Wilson's real estate-backed 6% CD alternative. You know, with the current administration, you've got three things that you can do. You can stay in the market for the next three years and watch your account go up and down and see what happens. Option two is take your money, put it in the money market, hold on to it, and hope that the Fed raises interest rates. Or number three, you can put your money into our exclusive 6% account. You've got your money safe and sound in a hard asset over the next three years. At the end of three years, you evaluate where you want to be. You want to try the market? You go back. You want to put it into a CD? You go back. Or you just want to reinvest for another three years at 6%. But in the interim, you have made 6% for three years instead of zero. Instead of riding the up and down elevator of the market or leaving your money in the bank earning nothing, you can earn 6% over the next three years guaranteed with Wilson Financial Services. Call 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970 for simply better alternatives. Welcome back to this Good News Friday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, and the reason I love this story out of Kentucky so much is there's a surprise plot twist at the end, okay? So, and... That being the case, let's get back to the Commonwealth of Kentucky. Andy Bashir was elected the governor of Kentucky in 2019. He has been serving for, he's the 61st governor of the Commonwealth. Oh, excuse me. He is not the 61st. He is the son of the 61st governor, who was Steve Bashir. Andy Bashir was elected attorney general of the Commonwealth of Kentucky in 2015. During that time, he went after Matt Bevan, who is a rather conservative Republican guy, um, often and with great passion. Bashir was hired by the law firm of Stites and Harbison, uh, where his father was a partner back in 2005. Ten years later, he ran for attorney general and he won. Now, Kentucky has a very long history of conservative leadership in the Commonwealth. Um, it's very interesting because when Matt Bevan was elected in 2015, Matt Bevan was pretty popular. Uh, we talked about Matt Bevan a lot here on the Bottom Line Show because he had some great social welfare policies, including one with foster care. He was one, as a matter of fact, when we hear more and more people talking about adoption and foster care, Matt Bevan made it his goal to literally empty the social welfare system in the Commonwealth of Kentucky. He said, look, we have enough families uh, here's how many kids we have in the system. I would love to see nothing more than for us to shut this whole system down. Knowing, of course, that they did, in fact, you know, you've still got to have a, 
uh, foster care, child protective services, that type of stuff, because you're never going to, quote unquote, solve the problem. But for as often as Matt Bevan made good suggestions like that, he did have some issues, too, with pension reform and this, that, and the other thing. And when Andy Beshear was elected attorney general, he used to take his boss on, uh, often with great passion. He sued him quite often, as a matter of fact. And <laughs> the, the um, is it uh, uh, Cameron, who's the, uh, the new attorney general, uh, who's a young guy, young African-American guy who, who took over for uh, uh, Andy Beshear, He's had his share of uh, of going ahead and going after this guy, his boss as well. So nonetheless, um, it's interesting because when uh, Governor Bashir ran, uh, he basically was running uh, to try to uh, face off with Matt Bevan, um, who was, uh, at that, by the time he had been in office for four years, Matt Bevan had become, according to Wikipedia and a couple of articles they sort, the least popular governor in all of the United States. Um, Matt Bevan was defeated by Andy Bashir, 49.2% to 48.83%. Easily the closest uh, race in the 2019 gubernatorial election cycle. And it was easily the closest race ever in the history of the Commonwealth of Kentucky. It took several days for uh, Matt Bevan to concede the race. He claimed that there were a lot of voting irregularities in the, sound familiar? This is 2019 versus uh, Donald Trump and Joe Biden in 2020. Uh, Kentucky Secretary of State Allison Lundgren Grimes' office declared Brashear to be the winner, and so Matt Bevan conceded on November 14th. And uh, basically, they, interestingly enough, <clears throat> there were enough people who were voting as writing candidates. They re-canvassed a certain area that uh, Governor Bevan had thought was uh, illegally counted, and it turned out that they did, in fact, miss one vote, and it was for a writing candidate. Didn't have any impact on the election whatsoever. So Matt, uh, Matt Bevan is out, and Andy Bashir is in as the governor of the Commonwealth of Kentucky. I give you a little bit of that history, simply because what happened a couple of weeks ago with regard to the flooding in uh, in Kentucky is truly remarkable, in my humble opinion. Because now you have Governor Bashir, who is, you know, standing in front of all the cameras in the wake of this huge disaster, and he makes this declaration. He says, in the book of Joshua, God says, be strong and courageous, do not be frightened, do not be dismayed, for the Lord God is with you wherever you go. As I stood at the site where we lost four children, nothing remains of that house. But a little plastic swing is still sitting in the back where they would push one or two of those kids, the oldest being just in the second grade. Tragedy. Tragedy. The uh, flood decimated homes in entire towns through the Appalachian region. Uh, Fifteen inches of rain fell over a five-day period. It landed in eight counties. Now, that sounds like it's widespread, but Kentucky has more counties than California. I think Kentucky has something like 180 counties for 4 million people. That's pretty remarkable. Put this in perspective, California has 58 counties for 40 million people. There are a lot of little counties in states like Ohio and Kentucky and whatnot. Um, 37 people were killed. Thousands were displaced. Helicopters had to be used to rescue more than 600 survivors. 
course, uh, the White House promised that they would, uh, uh, you know, send all sorts of money, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, CBN's Operation Blessing is there helping out. But the encouraging words from Governor Bashir were encouraging on the one hand and also raised that age-old question that I've been asking a lot on the other. See, Andy Bashir is a Democrat. He and his lieutenant governor are the only two elected Democratic officials at the top anywhere in the Commonwealth of Kentucky. Interestingly enough, Andy Bashir, as a Democrat, is quoting scripture to talk about the, the damage that was done and what his hope is for the people of the Commonwealth of Kentucky. And so to that, I say, Governor Bashir, thank you for bringing our focus as people, as Kentuckians, as Americans, to where it needs to be. The next question I would ask is, sir, if you look at your party's platform with regard to the sanctity of human life and the sanctity of marriage, how is it that you can continue serving in this party? And I just, that's the only, if I got a chance to do an interview with Andy Bashir, the governor of Kentucky, that is the one question I would ask him. So fair enough. We'll put the article up at thebottomlineshow.com and it's a, it's a great read and highly worthwhile. As we continue, preseason football is happening. The NFL season will be starting in just a couple of weeks. And so it's interesting to take a look, speaking of this kind of athletic theme with Nolan Ryan's grandson and Pat Boone playing golf in the mulligan. Um, One of the top quarterbacks in the NFL is a guy called Derek Carr. Derek has been very outspoken as a Christian uh, all through college. And then when he was drafted uh, by the, uh, the, the then Oakland Raiders, now the Las Vegas Raiders, Uh, And signed a big fat contract, the whole deal. But you have to wonder if playing in Sin City, playing in the NFL, if any of that has had any sort of negative impact on Derek Carr. The answer is no. But wait till you find out what kind of restrictions his parents put on him when he was younger saying, look, I know you're good. We know you're talented. We know that you could play professional football someday, but there are certain things that just happen in this family that are going to keep on happening whether you play football or not. I'll tell you about a couple of those stories coming up next as the bottom line continues. Stephanie Cover of Cover Law has a reputation for excellence, not just among previous clients, but also among colleagues. I'm an attorney. I've had clients that have issues in the area that Stephanie works in, and she's my first referral source. First of all, the area that she works in is an area where it's not that easy to find attorneys that I feel comfortable with. I think she has a lot of empathy, which helps because sometimes we attorneys don't have as much as we should have. She's extremely detail-oriented. She's very conscientious and just does a really kind of exceptional, almost overboard job in, in preparing cases. I've never had anybody come back with any negative comments. Everybody's been very happy with, you know, her professionalism and the way that she approaches cases. Choose the personal injury attorney with personal integrity. Stephanie Cover of Cover Law, 877-214-4935. Welcome back to this Good News Friday edition of The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. Derek Carr is an all-pro quarterback with the Las Vegas Raiders. In case you hadn't heard, they moved to Vegas a little while ago. Um, 
I'm chuckling just because I love to see these stories of men and women who've achieved great things, especially like in the performing world, athletics, entertainment, this, that, and the other thing. And to find out which ones did it just on sheer talent and ability and which ones did it because their parents grounded them by applying applying the right hand of knowledge to the seat of wisdom on occasion if need be. Um, If you've been around youth sports enough over the past 20 years, you know that uh, Little League Baseball or Pop Warner Football has been replaced by the Traveling Club Team, where you find the best of the best in your region, and then you travel great distances to play in other parts of your state or wherever else. So Derek Carr was giving an interview. Torin Wells, Christian singer, has a podcast called The High Note. And so you had Derek Carr on the show and asked him uh, about his faith journey. You know, is he still a Christian? You know, obviously, you know, he is. But what was it like? I mean, how does a guy growing up in a Christian home uh, wind up staying true to his faith but achieving this level of success to where you're playing in the NFL? And so he began by saying, well, My mom and dad taught me that my faith was number one. I was raised in the church. My grandpa was a pastor. My uncle was a pastor. My other grandpa was a deacon. My dad was a deacon. My mom was a worship leader. My grandma's a pastor. He laughed and he said, you can imagine why this was such a high priority for us. But at the same time, I was good at football and I was on a traveling football team. He was born in California that eventually his parents moved to Texas uh, during his tween years. And he said, look, if there's a game on a Sunday as a kid, we always told my traveling coach, I'm not going to be there. I'm going to be at church. My parents made the priorities the priorities, and it worked out for me. I mean, I made it to the NFL. So all these moms and dads that say, well, uh, we have to get you to your games because you're eight years old. And, you know, um, we can't do uh, if if the game's on Sunday, you got to go. I'm here to tell you, Derek Carr says, it's okay to miss one every now and again. But what's interesting about this, too, and this is something else that is really important, I think, for a lot of us who are parents and now grandparents, and we've got the younger generation coming up, and we want to know, you know, are those seeds that we're sowing in the hearts and lives of our young people, are they taking root? Derek Carr said, look, I grew up in a Christian home. I was in church every Sunday, but it wasn't until I went to college that I really made my faith my own. And that is huge because when you think about um, how important it is for us to have a faith that sticks, if you will, there's a lot of faith that has gone through, uh, you know, it's kind of situational. It's subjective. Generation Z, and to some extent the millennial generation, has kind of a, I don't want to offend anybody. I want my friends to all get along. I want to do whatever's going to keep what's right in the force with that group. And so I'll take a little bit of uh, George Barnett calls it uh, moralistic the uh, the uh, moralistic theistic uh, deistic therapy. That's what it is, where basically you want a god that makes you feel good, and you pull from the religions the good parts of those religions. So that's what you have. Faith in Christ though is paramount. And Derek Carr saw it lived out, and it wasn't until he went off to college that he had to live it out himself. And that's a very, very common story with young adults today. So I encourage you, if you have young people in your world, maybe grandchildren, even great-grandchildren, pray for them daily. 
But do more than just pray. When you see them, make sure that you are living out your faith in a way that they can see you living it out too. They're not going to have the same faith you do, but they're going to have the same faith or faith in the same one that you do. And that's the bottom line.